evening and go back to Matthew chapter 1. I want to minister about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and maybe we can talk about some characteristics in her life that are essential in the life of any mom. If you had a godly mother growing up, you can count it a blessing. If you have a godly mother now, you should count it a blessing. To have someone in your life that knows the Lord is a beautiful thing. But all of these characteristics are things that would be good in any believer who walks with the king. In Matthew 1, beginning with verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." Then if you look at verse 24, Joseph being raised from his sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, we'll look at a number of scriptures this evening, but let's pray. Father, we're happy to be able to fellowship again as we look into the scriptures now. Give us ears to hear. Let your son be magnified in all that we say and do. And we thank you for the mighty presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The circumstances surrounding the conception of Jesus are known by anyone who's read Matthew or Luke. An angel came and told Mary she'd have a baby. She said, how can this be? In any event, when Joseph heard that his wife was pregnant, he didn't believe it. And he was certain that this happened in an ungodly way. And he wanted to get rid of his fiance or dissolve what engagement they had. But Matthew tells us the angel of the Lord came. And when the angel spoke to him, he was able to get on God's side and get into unity. So the first point I want to make with respect to Mary and Joseph in regard to the birth of Jesus, is that they had this idea of conception and they were in unity about it. They both believed this was of God. And I think that's very important for the establishment of any family. It's certainly important for a child to grow up reared knowing that mom and dad were unified about them coming into this this world. Now, of course, we have seen where kids sometimes come along and the circumstances aren't always Christian. And sometimes if, if it is a result from that, sometimes kids suffer from all kinds of issues, not realizing that they're still favored and valued by God. I've known people who were the child or children of rape. I've known people who have uh, had all kinds of abuses in their family. 
And some people, when they get older, look into the mirror, they, they, they have a hard time escaping their past because they feel so bad about how they were conceived. But the one thing every one of us should know is that we were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And that even though with parents sometimes they will say or think or say you weren't intended to be here before you were ever formed in the womb, God knew you. There's no doubt about it. So in this instance, I'm glad that Joseph and Mary were in unity about the Lord coming into the earth and they accepted and believed that this child had purpose. And there was something designed for his life, a plan for his life. And I think that's the same for any child that's conceived. God does have a plan. Now, currently, we have a lot of discussion today about infanticide and whether or not a person should be allowed to terminate the life of a child and what role the Supreme Court will play and all of that. And so the discussions always go like this. You're either pro-life or pro-choice. But I always tell people it's not a matter of that. You're pro-life or pro-death. You're pro-life or you're pro-death. You call it a choice. It's not a choice for the child, but it's a choice for you. And I don't know how many times I've said to people, if you don't want a baby, don't do the things that create a baby. See? But once the child is conceived, then life now is going to be manifested. And as Paul said in Galatians 1.15, it was God who separated him from his mother's womb. And then in Ecclesiastes 11, it says, it is God that causes the bones to grow in a mother's womb. With every child, there is a destiny that is attached to that child. So the idea of the conception as well as the birth, was something that brought unity into the home of Mary and Joseph. And they stood by that fact. Well, notice in Luke chapter 2, verse number 7, it says concerning Jesus' birth, that she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, the reason in Luke 2, 7, he's called the firstborn is because he's the first of several children Mary gave birth to. You can read that in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Jesus had at least four brothers and at least two sisters. The reason we know he had at least two sisters because the word sisters in the Greek is in the plural. So they had a good sized family. But verse 7 says, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So here we see that with a godly mom, someone that's caring about their children, they will be with them even in dire circumstances. Mary and Joseph didn't have a whole lot of money. That's why they offered up a turtle dove in the temple. But do you realize it doesn't matter where a child is born? If there's love in that place, that's a good place to be. There was no room in the end. That tells me that Mary and Joseph were not people of affluence. If they had wealth, if they had riches, they could have been anywhere. They weren't people of influence. If they would have had power and connection, somebody would have made a way for them. But God allowed our Savior to be born in a manger, and he shows us that it's not your beginning that is the most important, but how you end. 
You know, people today, they, they have a tendency to think that if you have uh, kids and a, a large family, small family, whatever, everybody's got to have their own bedroom. You know, everybody's got to have this, everybody's got to have that. But do you realize that there are a whole lot of people for thousands of years that have been born in this world never even had a bedroom? And some of the folks that raised me never, ever had a bedroom. They were just raised in a house that had basically a living room, outhouse, kitchen off to the side, and then maybe another little room off on the side that people could go and lay around in. But there, there weren't a whole lot of things that people had. But your beginnings are important if in your beginnings you're surrounded by the presence of God and people that love God. And a mom that loves that baby, it doesn't matter if they're in a hotel, a manger, or along the side of a road, that baby's going to feel safe. Because little infants don't know anything about where they are anyhow. They're just glad to be in the arms of someone that's looking after them. Well, this is how, how Mary was. She had a love that filled that manger. Now, we, we also know later on here that she took the baby and went up into the temple. And the baby was only eight days old. And she went into the temple and the scripture says two people handled that baby or in the presence of that baby, dedicating that baby, talking to the Lord about that child. But how many times have you seen people uh, give birth and then they hide out in the house for three or four months? They don't want anybody anywhere around their infant because they're worried about germs and they're worried about this and and all of that. But on the eighth day, they're in the temple because this is the day they're going to name the child. You know, we've seen people and pastored people that from the hospital to the church, they come not fearful, not afraid, but wanting child in the house of God. Here is a mama that even though the baby has come, God is still first to the temple we go to offer our sacrifices to our heavenly father. And when that happens, those kinds of traditions that are started in a child will continue as that child grows. Now, what was your mom and dad like? Did they have you in the house of God? Was the the church prominent in your family. If you were like me, I wasn't raised in a godly family. So I don't have memories of going to church as a kid or of a mom praying over me or anything like that. But despite that, God still has been everything I've needed him to be. And God can bring you from any kind of beginning to give you a wonderful ending if you will walk with him. That covenant is that strong. But it's important to have godly parents. Parents are influential. The advantages are great when someone does have a mom and dad that's not ripping and running the streets, that's not an alcoholic, that is faithful to one another, that's not going here and going there. There's a security that's there. And Jesus found this in Mary. Well, look in Matthew chapter 2, look at verse number 13, and it says, that when they were departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be there until I bring you word, because Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So a mom wants to protect her child. 
She submitted to the will of God and followed her husband down into Egypt. You say, well, pastor, how did they survive down there being as poor as they were? Well, remember, the wise men and others brought gifts to them. They lived on those gifts. God prospered them and provided for them what they needed. And that's a good illustration of why it is sometimes that when babies are born into this world, that people have baby showers. People want to bless people. But you know, if you're not careful, you'll take advantage of people's grace and people's mercy. I've seen some people, they'll have a baby shower, and then after the baby shower, first birthday party. Turn two second year birthday party, turn three third year birthday party, all the way right on up to 14, 15, and 16. And pretty soon you just wonder why the gifts stop coming. You take advantage of people's grace. You take advantage of the loving kindness of people and you'll find that they will love you. But at the same time, people still have to be able to bless other people who need it. It's not an opportunity to try to take advantage of other people who are well off and other people who have to give. But it does give people an opportunity to bless you because they're excited about the child. God brought wise men from the east and they were happy to kneel down because they knew Christ was a savior. They were pleased to do so. And I think it's impressive that they could travel as far as they traveled and didn't spend up all the loot that they were bringing. They didn't stop at any marketplaces and spend that money. They waited to put it in the hands of God. So with with that money, they go into Egypt because it's a it's a maternal instinct and it's a natural quality for a mom to want to protect that baby. Yeah, I, I think there are ladies that would stare down a grizzly bear if they had to. In order to make sure that maybe their baby could survive just a few more moments. And that is how God has designed it. Well, of course, it says in verse 13, Herod will seek the young child to destroy it. Well, Herod was part Jewish and then a mixture of other things. He was never Jewish enough to want to follow God with his whole heart, but he was never worldly enough to want to refrain from some of the aspects of Jewish culture. His problem was he was on the fence. And a person on the fence is never pleased. And he wanted to persecute the babies that were two years old and under because he was jealous of the idea of there being another king, a rival authority. And Herod is like a culture that wants to destroy godly seed, that wants to destroy babies that will be reared to have a relationship with God and have authority and power with God. We see that daily. Look at our culture today. They, they, they attack babies and young people in ways that we don't really think about it. But the whole point of it is to destroy that godly seed so that the influence of God won't be <clears throat> won't flourish or won't thrive inside of those young people. In our culture, they're very slick about it. They say things like, we don't want the government telling us what to do with ourselves. My body, my choice. But when it comes to that mind, they want every three, four, and five-year-old to learn about transgender things. They don't say, my mind, my choice. They want the government to teach 
the confusion to the kids as young as possible so that they'll grow older confused. Confused people sowing confusion will produce a confused generation. That's true. And with that kind of Herodian culture that is at work presently in our nation and in Europe and is, is just really growing in other places, we can see why that culture is going after godly seed. Any rival power, any rival authority that stands up to it and says, we will, we will usurp the authority that you have. They want to attack it. They want to kill it. And they're doing it. And a good mama is still going to say, regardless of what that school system says, and regardless of what that preacher may be saying, and regardless of what the politicians are saying, you belong to me, and I'm raising you as godly seed. And your mind is going to be filled with the word of God, regardless of what anybody else says. And this is where the battle lines are being drawn every single day. I listen to it uh, from the kids that are in the public school system. I listen to it from our teachers that are in the public school system. When I go into the public schools and have to do some kind of a teaching on the Middle East, or on languages or something like that. I'm hearing over and over again, Pastor Darrell, we've never seen kids that are this disrespectful. I had a teacher telling me not too long ago, said the students don't even call me Mr. So-and-so. They call me by my first name now. They invite me to their graduations and their receptions, and they don't write Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. They just put my first name and my wife's first name on the envelope. We have a generation that doesn't reverence authority. And this is why we have teachers today that are sometimes being cussed out, totally disrespected, and they can't fail them. One good friend of mine who's a teacher, he told me about 15 years ago that when he actually failed five students in his class because they did not perform up to the standards he had set, He told me the superintendent called him into his office and said, you cannot fail five students. You have got to change your standards and lower the number so that they'll pass. Now, he's either got to change or lose his job. This is where we are in that culture today. It's forcing the seed to be destroyed. And this is why mamas are so absolutely essential. To, to be the buffer or the barrier between that world and what's trying to get into the house of God and trying to get into your own homes. So Mary was this kind of uh, mother, and she was very in- interested in the protecting of her child. In Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52, you can see where she is rearing Jesus in the word of the Lord. Now, he is the word of the Lord. But Luke 2 verse 40 says the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. But later, when they returned from Jerusalem, at verse 51, it says he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Even Jesus was obedient to his mother. Absolutely. And his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So mom is essential. Good mom is certainly helpful. And 
as we see here, her custom was to walk with God. No sooner Jesus been born, she went to the temple. Every year they come in for the feast of Passover, bring in Christ. She's creating an environment in which the wisdom of God can grow, which he can grow in the wisdom of God. That means she's got to go out of her way to make sure he has the advantages he needs to grow in grace and in knowledge. She's got got to protect what those eyes see, what those ears hear. Yeah, I think that... um, we, we do have challenges in our nation. Uh, I was a product of the public school system. I survived, and, and praise the Lord, my, my experiences weren't near as bad as a whole lot of folks, but I had a, a good witness, and I had some friends that loved the king. Some of you are private school, public school, uh, home school. But here's what I do know. There needs to be an environment created in which people can grow in God. And and when that happens, then we end up with someone like Christ, someone walking in the power of Christ, in the fullness of Christ and in the knowledge of Christ. And I'm sure everybody in here, if you could go back in time and do a few things differently, you have a number of things you would do because hindsight gives you the benefit of 2020 vision and you can see things clearer in a way today that's different when you were walking through because you can only live with the light that you possess. But as God adds more light as you grow in grace and in the word of God, then the more light that comes, that illumination allows you to walk in the fullness of what God has provided for you. She reared him in the Lord. What does it look like when a home is not reared with God? It's confusion, difficulties. You see kids cussing out parents. You see parents cussing out kids. You see people uninterested in church. The Lord's Day is disrespected. It's more of a sports day than it is a day for honoring God. When people aren't reared in the king and they don't grow in grace and in knowledge, they grow in some kind of a knowledge. And this is why we have six and seven year olds that possess a carnal knowledge that they shouldn't possess until they're older. But everything from television, from radio, the books, they all push that. One librarian told me, said, Pastor Darrell, I look at everything that comes into this library and I know the school system will not allow me to throw certain things out. But she said, I do want you to know that some of the things that come in here, I put them all in a bag and put them in a closet somewhere. And when people ask me, are those books there? I say, those books are on the grounds because that is what has to be here by law. But she makes it very plain to me that they are not accessible to any kid. You have to have people like that. See, the flood tide is coming in. And whenever it comes in, it 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 brings something in, but it also removes something in that undertow. And it usually takes away values and strengths and morals, but yet it's bringing in filth and dirt and fluff and all of these things. And a mama is going to be watching, is going to be looking and, 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 and going to be going after those kinds of things. Look at Mark chapter three. It talks about Mary, how that Jesus, once his career in ministry had begun, it said he was He was out there teaching somewhere and they came and said, your mother is standing on the outside and she and your brothers and sisters want to see you. And he said, who's my mother and my brethren, but those that do the will of my father. Now, this shows us that even though his 
life and his career was going, she was still interested in what he was doing. No matter how old a child gets, mom is always going to be interested in that child's welfare. And going to want to know how they're doing, even if in the relationship it's estranged and moms and daughters aren't talking or moms and sons aren't talking or parents aren't talking with sons. Even when the relationship is estranged, I have found that somehow or another, a parent, when they get a chance to talk to other people in the family or the one that they're talking to, they'll ask a question. How is so and so? Because they're interested. They still want to know how their son is how their daughter or grandchildren are doing. Mary is actively involved with Jesus' life, and even though these verses seem like he's basically ignoring her, she's still right there. She's interested. That's a mama. That's a grandma. Yeah, seen that plenty of times. Kid grows up, leaves the house, rebels against the way he or she was raised, is absolutely determined to go their own path and not going to serve God because now they want to walk away from all the underpinnings that mom and dad have placed in their life and they get out there on their own and they won't call. But mom and dad are still calling other relatives and friends that they had saying, have you heard from so-and-so? Because it's in a parent to want to know how that child is doing. And it never changes regardless of how old that kid becomes. Before Jesus did his first miracle, they were at the marriage. Mary was there. Mary saw something in Jesus because she knew what the prophecies were. She remembered the angel that came. She said, they have no wine. She saw the miraculous in him before it could ever, before it was ever manifested. She wouldn't have gone to him if she didn't think he could handle the circumstance. He said, bring me some water pots. They filled it with water. The water became wine because of him. But she knew. There was something unique about him. And parents know the strengths and weaknesses of their kids. And they can see in their kids things that the kids sometimes can't see in them. That wasn't the case with Jesus. He knew he should be about his father's business when he was 12. But most kids can't see what God wants them to do. They don't have the courage very often. And a mom and a dad have to be there to be strong, to let them know God can work wonders through you if you'll trust God and believe. As I said, some people, the circumstances of their life lead them to believe God won't do anything for them. So if I've had to, when I've had to minister to people from terrible backgrounds, we've got to help, help them see themselves as God sees them in Christ. Help them to change their mind about what they think. Because if they've heard most of their life, you're never going to amount to anything. You're going to be just like your older sibling or just like your cousin. You're going to be worthless. Look at you. You hear that kind of stuff. It just pushes somebody down so that they have very little faith in God in them. But if you take that person and wash their mind and renew it with the word of God, that person will be looking for a water pot saying, line them up because the miracles are about to begin. And they believe that God can do something with them. But it takes somebody to change that mind. That's what mama is for. 
She's created that environment. She sees something in that kid. She sees some strengths there. Maybe there's some artistic ability there. Maybe there's a singing ability. Whatever it is, pushing them down that road. Train up a child in the way he or she should go. When they get older, they won't depart. What way should they go? We know they should go in the way of Christ. But from a natural perspective, you can see things about your kids they can't see sometimes. And a mom will want those kids to excel above and beyond what she has done in life. Go further. Go farther. Believe God. We're giving you the foundation. So this is what Mary has to do with with Christ in rearing him. Well, then look in John 19 in verse 25. And I want you to see this. Jesus has now had to carry his cross and a lot of people have left him. But in John 19, verse 25, it says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. His mother didn't forsake him. So many other people did. John 19, 25, other people turned their backs to him. Other people walked away from him. They were no longer interested in being with him. They were the kinds of friends that were there as long as everything was okay. But yet here at the cross, in his most painful circumstance, mama's standing there watching. How humiliating that must be. But that's a mama. She's going to stand by and see you in some of the worst times of your life. A child commits suicide. Loss of a job. Dissolution of a marriage. Or something like an infirmity or sickness or disease that comes. But a mom's going to be there. And that's why the scripture gives us these images and these pictures. Think of some of the worst times you've ever come through in your life. Aren't you glad you had a mom you could lean on? Have a mom that could encourage you? And for us that may not have had a, a godly mom or a Christian mom or, or something uh, to that degree, what we do need to know is that God becomes what we need. When your mother and your father forsake you, the Lord takes you up. There are plenty of people in this world weren't raised by their parents. They were adopted. I pastored people like that. They came in foster care. I pastored people like that. All of the experiences were not happy and were not wonderful. And although we talk about the benefits of a godly mother, you know as well as I do, all mothers are not that way. They're not. Some ladies go in a totally different direction. And without God, it's impossible to not go in a bad direction. There are kids today being raised in homes that are confused and difficult, and this is why they gravitate towards sports. And this is why they like to hang out at their neighbor's house. And this is why they like to be in church, because they, they, they find a safe haven, a place of peace where they can kind of exhale and feel good finally. But, you know, a, a good mom would be there with somebody walking through a difficult time and, and dealing with that cross. But if you've got a parent that's intrusive or if you've got a parent that's foul or vulgar, you still got to honor your parent. You still got to love your parent. Again, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but my mother has never, ever heard a cuss word come out of these lips. 
She's never heard anything come out of this mouth that even goes in the direction of a cuss word. And she certainly has never been at the end of a sentence from me directed at her in a cuss, in a, in a foul or vulgar way. You got to honor your mom, even if you don't agree with her. In fact, I don't have to agree with everything my mom tells me. I'm a grown man. I can do whatever I want to do. But I, I just buttoned up my mouth sometimes. And all I have to do is just turn and walk away. See, that's wisdom. Turn and walk away. Now, my dad, he, he was a he was a, a strict guy, just like my mom was. But my dad was always under the impression you're not an adult until you're out on your own. You can pay your own bills. He told me if I got to pay your insurance. And if I got to pay your phone bill and you're going to be running around asking me for money, then you haven't made it to adulthood yet. But when you can take care of yourself, then that's when that's when adulthood pretty much begins in, in his mind. But the point is, this: if you were going to be in his house, you're going to be respectful whether you wanted to or not. Or with myself and my two older brothers. Uh, if my dad didn't run that house like a man, we would have ran him out of there. So he ran that house. But my mom, she was the same way. People wonder about, you know, uh, how bold or aggressive I could be. I was always this way even before I became a Christian. That came from my mom. My mom was that way. You know, she she was one of these ladies, didn't know anything about God. We didn't go to church. But what little light she had as far as being a mama, she knew she had to look after after her kids, and she dealt with us accordingly. So when we were out in the grocery store or out shopping somewhere, and little Daryl did one of his, his um, had one of his little spells where in the ladies' store, you know, they used to have those racks with all the dresses and skirts on them, and they could turn. You know, you could stand there and turn them. I'd like to go in there and play. So I'd go in there and as a little boy, I'd get inside the little rack and then I'd run it around in a circle to all the stuff are just swinging out in different directions. And of course, people are looking and, and trying to figure out what's going on. And and of course, if my mom didn't see me, she went right over there to where I was. And that's what she did one time. And she snatched me out of those clothes in that mall and she started putting putting it on my backside and those ladies who were in that store were standing there and looking at her almost with a, a face like, how dare you do that to him and hit him out here? My mom finished up with me and said to one woman, if you don't like what I'm doing, there's plenty more where that came from. <laughs> said that to another woman in the store. My oldest brother was a brawler. And he could handle himself pretty good. He was 6'4", and he was just one of these guys who wasn't going to take anything off of anybody. He went out one night to a house party where there were a whole lot of teenagers and stuff there. And this would have been when he was in junior high. And so he gets to the party and he realizes quickly that the young lady that invited him deceived him. She wanted to get him to the house so all these other guys could jump my brother. Well, somehow my brother got to a telephone and called my mom. And my mom told me and Rick, go get in the car. We're going to get Anthony. And we got in the car. My mom had her shotgun. 
And we drove the eight or nine blocks to whatever neighborhood we were in. And we got there and the kids were out in the yard dancing and the music was going. And she said, you stay right here. And she got out of that car, held that shotgun, walked right into that house through the front door and brought my brother out with no problem. And of course, when mama came out with the shotgun, you know how he was walking, coming out just like he was as cool (laughs) as could be. Right. But but I I say that just to, to show you the kind of lady that raised us. My mama raised three boys to adulthood on the east side of Cleveland and didn't know God. So she had to be strong. Otherwise, the gangs would have got us. We'd ended up in jail or dead. But thank God for a mama that knows God and can put you on a path that will cause you to avoid those kind of stories I just told. See? Yeah. There have been plenty of times I've shared my stories and I've had parents kind of on the side say to me, you know, Pastor, you really don't have to share all of these stories, you know. You're giving people ideas. (laughs) All I know is, thank the Lord for a godly mom and somebody that serves the king and for all of you that do love God. Your children are going to rise up and call you blessed. And if you don't hear it in this life, you'll hear it in the life to come. Because your prayers, like the incense before the presence of God in the book of Revelation, those prayers linger. And when you pray, God is still actively working to answer those prayers. Don't ever lose hope, lose heart, or give up. Just keep believing and trusting God. All the seed you have sown is going to produce a harvest. And if you were not able to sow that kind of seed because you didn't have that kind of knowledge at that time, your prayer still can be answered. He's a miracle working God. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Praise God. Praise God. Thank the Lord for you fierce mama bears. Yeah. I got a feeling Amy will be going home tonight. She'll be cleaning up the shotgun. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. She'll be cleaning her up. (laughs) But I want us to pray for the ladies and just ask God to continue to lead them and guide them and fill them with a spirit of wisdom. We only touched on a few challenges that our nation is dealing with. But I'm telling folks, this is a war zone with what's going on with our kids. And uh, even some of our young adults. And it's not, a, it's not a matter of us knowing the problem but being quiet. We've got to open our mouths now and talk and say something. We, we've got to let people know exactly what we believe and no longer just try to keep the peace and let everybody else be all overbearing and, and, and assertive with what they say. Because it's, those kind of people are already in charge. And they don't mind pushing their agenda. Let's push the Bible. My wife was telling me earlier today, she said, we shouldn't let people say that, you know, when we talk about abortion, it's a matter of politics. It's not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. And when people talk about all of this transgender stuff and the confusion related to the identity of kids, it's not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. But they want to say it's a political issue. So we won't quote scripture. But the word of God is the foundation that we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word. 
Thank you for sowing it inside all of our hearts. Every week we all come in contact with people that other folks in here don't come in contact with. But I pray, Lord, you would help us use our conversation season with grace to be able to minister to people that do not know you. And the ones that do know you, we pray that you would help us to provide wisdom. And God, let there be a mighty outpouring of your Holy Ghost up and down this valley. And let young people come just in throngs, crying out, wanting to know more and more of you. Lord, raise up young adults that will want to serve you passionately and fervently, God. And Father, don't let our elderly people leave this world sitting in churches where they are sad and depressed because the gospel isn't being preached. Bring them back to an old-fashioned altar where they bow their knees and seek your face, O God. Crying out to you, have mercy on this nation. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit and where the gospel is proclaimed, let there be power in manifestation. We love you, O God. We worship you and praise you, Almighty God. Your name is great in all the earth. These things we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen. God.